something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi. I'm Rachel Zoe, and my podcast, Climbing in Heels, is back and better than ever. You might know me from The Rachel Zoe Project, or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema Rewind. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. Rob and I are out this week, so we are bringing you an older episode of Weird House Cinema. This was our feature on The Abominable Dr. Fibes. I think one of my favorites we've done, uh, uh, an excellent weird outing of Vincent Price. This one originally published on April 1st, 2022, but there is nothing April foolish about it. Uh, we hope you enjoy. Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, welcome to Weird House Cinema. This is Rob Lamb. And this is Joe McCormick. And woo, I hope you like organ music because today we're doing Dr. Fibes. That's right. The abominable Dr. Fibes from 1971. Uh, This is a film that is frequently described as a dark comedy horror film which is a it is kind of a a a way of saying this movie's weird and we don't really know how to classify it you know because it certainly has yeah it has comedic flair in it it has horror flair um but it's it's ultimately its own unique weird vision uh and it's it's really difficult to compare it 100 percent to just about anything else I would almost say it's a musical, though the characters don't sing songs. There are a lot of musical numbers and dancing. Yes. Yeah. It's very theatrical. Um, Like in in trying to come up with an elevator pitch for it, I was thinking it's it's kind of Phantom of the Opera meets Batman meets a wax museum horror movie and a swanky unoccupied nightclub for stylish madmen. But, but also you have to say the words Vincent Price, because yes. I think that is a key element of establishing the themes. Yeah, I think this is our first Vincent Price film. And, um, and Fibes has been on our, our, our list, it's been on our radar for a while. And I know we've heard from uh, at least a couple of listeners suggesting it. And it came up again recently when I was looking at films that uh, had very well-regarded uh, movie scores. And so, yeah, yeah, this is uh, this is our first Vincent Price film, though we did discuss The Tingler 
from 1959 and an old episode of Stuff to Blow Your Mind. Uh, but that was pre-Weird House. That was more of a, like, we used the Tingler uh, as a springboard to discuss some science or vice versa. You know, I, I would say the Tingler is somewhat different because the Tingler is a William Castle movie mm-hmm. that has Vincent Price in it. But lots of Vincent Price movies, it almost feels as if it doesn't matter who the director is, and it's just it just becomes a Vincent Price movie. I would say this is one of those. It it is, and then on the on the same level, one thing I kept thinking about is okay, Vincent Price plays a character in this film that that doesn't actually speak with his voice anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, you hear Vincent Price's voice, but it's like a. Um, it's it's like a, through a machine, and right. so it's it's unique to be watching this. And you think, oh, well, you know, Vincent Price is is great, like as a visual performer. He has this amazing voice, uh, and yet we have a character who's uh, in, in many ways mute in this film. And it kind of it, it kind of applies to other characters in the film as well. Like a lot of a lot of uh, the people in this film are just part of the set piece. It's about about creating this this uh, theatrical vision. Somehow, though, even though he doesn't speak with his mouth in the movie, the Price ham juice gets on everything. Mm-hmm. Like, the Vincent Price campiness comes through in the energy exuded by every other actor in the film. And I was going to compare it to another great horror movie that I just watched within the last year because they are so similar. This other movie is called Theater of Blood from 1973. So it came out two years after Dr. Fibes. But if you can believe this, listen to all the parallels. Both movies star Vincent Price as a performing artist of some kind who is presumed dead, but returns to enact an elaborate plan of revenge on a list of nine specific enemies, targeting each one in a succession of sort of themed murders. And in Dr. Fibes, the themed murders are based on the Ten Plagues of Egypt in the Book of Exodus. And in Theater of Blood, they're based on deaths in the plays of Shakespeare. And in both movies, the Price character has a cool younger female sidekick. In Theater of Blood, that is uh, actually, the, it is Vincent Price's character's daughter, played by Diana Rigg, who oh, wow. is well, that's, always great. Uh, yeah, Diana Rigg, one of my favorites. And in that one, uh, she's great, but also in that one, Vincent Price plays a ham Shakespearean actor instead of an organist. Ah, all right. Well, those are certainly some five vibes. You're definitely vibing with fibes there. Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, you know, one thing that I was thinking about, especially towards the end of this picture, and we'll, we'll discuss the, the plot here in a bit, uh, was that this film, uh, The Abominable Dr. Fibes, it's kind of like the precursor to such dreary themed uh, murder films as uh, Seven, as uh, oh, I'm thinking like Resurrection, and of course the Saw movies. Except mm. this movie is like, what if you had something like that and it was at least ten times as fun? <laughs> you know? Um, oh, more than that. Yeah, this is the exact opposite. This is a, a, a weird, elaborate themed murders, but just bouncing on rays of sunshine. Yes. <laughs> so I, I think Dr. Fibes is one of my new show favorites. It's going on the list with, uh, I think, some of the best movies we've watched on here. Like, uh, I, I don't keep a running list of my favorites, but there's somewhere in my head. It's got to be like Mad Love, Robot Jocks, uh, Ship of Monsters, and, and mm-hmm. oh, and Inframan. And this <laughs> one's going up there, too. Yeah, it's it's extremely watchable. Uh, I I can easily recommend this one to uh, to film fans of, of different genres uh, because it it 
it does transcend genre. It, it's not just a horror film. Uh, it's it's just so stylish, so love, lovingly stylish that uh, I feel like it can suck in just about anybody. Like you just it, just about any given scene, even the scenes that don't play take place within Doctor Fibes' subterranean um, uh, uh, organ um, funhouse are mm-hmm. still like lavishly decorated and uh, and ingeniously shot. Totally agree. All right, well, let's go ahead and listen to the trailer here. What lovely music for a murder, or two, or three, or nine. Who's this? Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to meet a dear friend. Nine killed you. Nine shall die. Your wife no fives. But you I will kill. But you can't, Doctor. I am already dead. Well, what, sir? The guitar. The ten curses visited upon the pharaohs before Exodus. All right, let's talk about some of the people involved in this motion picture. Uh, first of all, let's start at the top with the director, Robert Foost. Foost lived 1927 through 2012. British director noted for his unique genre style. Um, it should come as no surprise to, uh, to some fans out there that he came up through the Avengers TV show before making such features as 1970s and Soon the Darkness, a thriller, uh, a 1970 adaptation of Wuthering Heights with Timothy Dalton as Heathcliff, followed by the two Dr. Fibes films, uh, 1973's The Final Program, which was based on a Michael Moorcock novel starring John Finch, and 1975 satanic meltomania movie The Devil's Reign, starring <laughs> Ernest Borgnine, The Shat, Tom Skerritt, John Travolta, and of course, uh, Anton LaVey. I was wondering if we should come back to The Devil's Reign on uh, Weird House. It It is notorious for being not very good, but also being (laughs) sort of worth seeing yeah yeah it has greatness in it and i I think maybe we're in a better we'll be in a better place to understand it uh, having experienced vibes but uh uh, yeah, and also it is possible that maybe the world just wasn't ready for the devil's reign, um, especially when you look at his filmography, because it looks like uh, uh, he mostly did uh, TV after the devil's reign. All right. Um, the writers on this, uh, there are two credited writers, uh, James Witten, born 1930, died 2016, American writer who wrote uh, the story for 1982's Murder by Phone, starring Richard Chamberlain. And then there's also William Goldstein, credited on both Fives movies, plus 1976's The Amazing Dobermans, in which, quote, an ex-con man and his five trained Dobermans help a Treasury (laughs) Department agent stop a racketeer and his gang. It starred James Franciscus, Barbara Eden, Fred Astaire, and Billy Barty. 
Um, it has an amazing poster, and my wife says that she remembered this movie. I think her, her family, they, they always had Dobermans, so I think they watched any... If there was a Doberman movie, uh, they watched it. <laughs> Imagine the pitch for that. What about Dobermans that solve mysteries? <laughs> I think it, there was a t- they also tried to turn it into a TV show. Wait, what kind of dog was Scooby-Doo? I guess he was supposed to be like a Great Dane or something. D- yeah, yeah, not a Doberman. The Dobermans have those like... The pointy head. Those really derpy uh, pointed heads, yeah. yeah. Um, derpy or terrifying, depends on how you look at them, but uh, they, can, they can look quite derpy. All right, uh, the star of this film, uh, playing Dr. Anton Fibes, is Vincent Price, who lived 1911 through 1993, the legend himself. Gotta love him. An, an actor of great genuine talent who could have kept pressing just to, to focus on serious film roles, but but embraced camp. And that's something I really respect. Yes. And it was really, really a master of it. Uh, yeah. Price was active on screen from the late 30s to the early 90s. You know, great voice, great look horror icon, um, you know, could, could really play a serious threat, but also seemed to have a great sense of humor and was able to play that up. Uh, was active in various genres, especially early on his, in his career. Uh, and you see him, you know, showing up in some, some serious uh, pictures during that time period for sure. Uh, and then he did all sorts of celebrity appearances and product endorsements later in life. <laughs> uh, you know, he seemed, seemed to very much, you know, cash in on things to a certain extent. And, and God bless him, he'd, he'd earned it by that point. But yeah, uh, yep. uh, Time Life Enchanted World commercials. Mm-hmm. I think he did commercials for what are they called? Wine, uh, what was that brand of wine coolers? Yes, where he's dressed like a polar bear. Um, yeah, <laughs> like it, I, I highly recommend anyone out there just do a like a YouTube search for Vincent Price commercials, and you'll get numerous results, and they're all great. Oh, God. if you find the ones where he's doing wine coolers, I don't remember the brand name, but that same brand of wine coolers also has commercials with Grace Jones that are amazing. Yes. <laughs> Ultimately, I would say the Vincent Price pop culture footprint is almost just too huge for us to possibly do justice here in a single episode. So for my part, I'm just going to mention a few of my favorites uh, from from a few different categories. So first of all, in film, uh, as much as I love this film, again, it is kind of weird to cast um, Vincent Price in a role where he doesn't actually speak. Uh, I think they're, they're, you know, they're much better examples of him acting both as a, a pure protagonist and also as an antagonist um, you know Roger Corman's Mask of the Red Death is a great example of him in pure villain mode while the in the Tingler we get to see him as a as kind of a tortured hero um, wait is he a hero no wait a minute he's he's like oh, trying wait, wait. to murder his wife in the Tingler oh well yes he was but didn't he well wait no I think he's sort he sort of is the hero but he's a bad dude <laughs> is there a film where he plays like a pure uh, protagonist uh, oh, I'm sure there are plenty of oh, one, uh, the Last Man on Earth, which is one of the oh, many yeah. film adaptations of I Am Legend. Uh, yes, by Richard Madison. One of the earlier ones. He he's in that, and he plays the the main character. Um, God, how many film adaptations of I Am Legend are there? There's the there's the Omega Man. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's the the one with Will Smith. There's the one with Vincent Price. There are at least three, but there may be more. Yeah, and I think they're they're planning on making more. Now, uh, Vincent Price also did a lot of television. Uh, I, one notable thing is he he appeared on Night Gallery, I think, a couple of times, including the 1972 episode, The Return of the Sorcerer, which is one of the few adaptations of a Clark Ashton Smith short story. When it comes to just pure uh, celebbing, I'd say his 1977 appearance on The Muppet Show is pretty stellar. That That's right in his element. I mean... Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, Pri- Price can act opposite a puppet. 
Yes, yes, very well. Though of those Muppet shows, some of the if you try and watch them in, in their entirety, some of them can be a little painful at times. There, I mean, there mm. it was a it was a hammy show, <laughs> and uh, uh, you know, not everything holds up all that well. Uh, but but Price was great on that. Now, when it comes to music and spoken word, uh, th- this is fast. I wasn't familiar with the pure scope of this, but uh, if you go to Discogs.com, Vincent Price has 68 listings. To put that in perspective, Christopher Lee only had 26, which is nothing to sneeze at, um, <laughs> but 68 listings. Does that include Christopher Lee's metal albums? I, I think it did, yeah. Now, I won't, I won't pretend to have heard even half of the, uh, the, the releases from uh, Vincent Price, uh, but, I, but I've, uh, I've got to go with his excellent spoken word bit in the 1983 track, Thriller. Uh, that, you know, is loads of fun. The funk of 40,000 years. Um, and then when it comes to product endorsements, um, uh, again, the Time Life books, um, uh, Enchanted Worlds uh, uh, advertisement is great. Uh, but also he did one for Monster Vitamins. That's a lot of fun. Uh, it has animated monsters in it. And he's talking, it's a, a children's vitamin commercial, but you got Vincent Price there. Uh, again, we, we can't go through everything that Vincent Price was in, but just to, to mention a few of the big ones, uh, he was in The Ten Commandments, he was in House of Wax, The Fly, House on Haunted Hill, he popped up on uh, the old uh, 60s uh, TV Batman series, uh, he's a voice in The Great Mouse Detective, he plays the, uh, the villainous rat in that, and then of course his final feature film um, appearance is in Edward Scissorhands. Rest in peace, man. <laughs> So Vincent Price, is li- his character, Dr. Fives, is listed in the end credits to this movie as one of two protagonists, uh, which is, a, you know, a humorous, but also in keeping with the, the strange vibe of the film. Uh, the other protagonist is listed as uh, Dr. Vesalius, played by Joseph Cotton. Uh, Joseph Cotton is another legend, a uh, star of film, stage, radio, and television, lived 1905 through 1994, probably best remembered for his roles in, uh, I think, three different Orson Welles movies, Citizen Kane in 41, The Magnificent Ambersons in 42, Journey into Fear in 43. Uh, he's also known for uh, The Third Man from 49. I think that was the first first thing I, I, uh, I really uh, remember him from, though I guess I probably watched Citizen Kane around the same time. Uh, he was also in 1944's Gaslight, which is where we get the term gaslighting from. Right. And uh, later on, he appeared in such films as uh, Soylent Green in 73, and such Italian films as uh, Marcello uh, Alprandi's 1976 film A Whisper in the Dark, and Sergio Martino's excellent Island of the Fishmen, a.k.a. Screamers. <laughs> excellent. Uh, <laughs> so any, anything he's in, it's a, it's a solid screen presence. So in this, he plays this character, Dr. Vesalius, who is the the last of the uh, the enemies targeted for revenge by Dr. Fibes. Yeah, because this film ultimately follows um, uh, a pattern that you see in a number of different uh, revenge films with kind of an anti-hero revenge killer at the center is he'll have a, a number of targets and you'll start with the targets that are you either don't know much about or, 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 or who are actively villainous in some way or another. And then you work your way towards a character who is more relatable. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, it, it forces you to sort of enjoy the early kills, but feel conflicted about the, the later <laughs> kills that are planned. Shout out to Astapro for sponsoring this episode and providing us with free samples. 
Rob, as the uh, the local host with allergies here, they sent you some of their nasal spray to treat your allergies. What was your experience like? Yeah, that's right. I always wrestle with the pollen a bit when it rolls in during the spring. So they sent me the little uh, nasal spray. I tried out the product and yeah, it sure did help me get on top of my symptoms for the day. And it's so fast acting, uh, it was already kicking in before I left the house. Astapro is a first-of-its-kind nasal allergy spray. It's the fastest 24-hour over-the-counter allergy spray. It starts working in 30 minutes, while other allergy sprays take hours. Astapro is the first and only 24-hour steroid-free allergy spray. Astapro delivers full prescription-strength indoor and outdoor allergy relief from nasal congestion, runny and itchy nose, and sneezing. Get fast-acting nasal allergy symptom relief with Astapro. Go to astaproallergy.com for a discount so you can get Astapro and go today. A-S-T-E-P-R-O allergy.com. Astapro and go. Use this directed for relief of nasal congestion, runny nose, sneezing, and itchy nose due to allergies. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. When your child fights sleep, it can feel like a battle you'll never win. Imagine a bedtime routine you all look forward to, where you cuddle in and let the stress of the day melt away. Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories, a calming weekly podcast that brings bedtime stories, cuddles, and comfort to families worldwide. The stories are quirky, relatable, and spark wonder without overstimulation, so listeners can fall asleep and stay asleep. Each episode is narrated by me, Cheryl McLeod, a second grade teacher, and written by my husband Clark, an eternal second grader at heart. Tune in tonight and bond over a story before drifting off to sleep. Make bedtime the sweetest part of your day. Sleep Tight Stories. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, some of the other people here. Uh, we have uh, Peter Jeffrey in this. Um, Probably not an actor that a lot of people are familiar with. He plays Inspector Harry Trout. He's the hard-nosed British detective on the case. Ultimately has a lot of screen time in this. Um, He lived 1929 through 1999, and uh, he had roles in such films as The Adventures of Baron Munchausen, Midnight Express, The Return of the Pink Panther, and he played the character Count Grindel on Doctor Who, uh, among, I think, some other characters on Doctor Who. He did a lot of TV work. This is our main Scotland Yard detective trying to solve the case of the doctors being murdered in bizarre ways. Uh, Inspector Kilgore Trout. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and it's, he's pretty fun because at times he yeah. is, comes off a little bit comedic. Other times he's just kind of just the hard-nosed cop trope. Yeah. Oh, oh, but we've got to talk about – so in this movie, Dr. Fibes has a sidekick. He has a, mm-hmm. an assistant named Volnavia, and she's great. <laughs> yes, yeah, played by Virginia North, who in my notes here I have 1946 through 2994 – uh, I suspect that I have a typo there, and she actually lived to 1994? 2004. Make that 2004, not 2,994. Uh, anyway, she was a fashion model who only appeared in a handful of titles, including this, which was her finer, final film. Uh, and she was she also pops up in On Her Majesty's Secret Service. She wasn't a Bond girl, however, as the main love interest in that movie was played by Diana Rigg. The great Diana Rigg. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy uh, North as uh, Volnavia in this movie. She, This is also – both of our sort of uh, villain roles, the, the killers in this movie, do not speak directly. Vincent Price only speaks through like a tube in his neck plugged into a phonograph in some mm-hmm. scenes. And Volnavia doesn't speak at all, though she does play a mean violin as uh, as like doctors are being drained of all their blood. Mm-hmm. And she can she can wield a golden axe. That's right. <laughs> so, yeah, she, she's stylish and she's helpful. Now, we're not going to list all of the various doctors who are murdered by Dr. Fibes, but uh, two of them are noteworthy. Uh, there's a Dr. Longstreet played by Terry Thomas. That, of course, is Terry hyphen Thomas, who lived 1911 through 1990. This is one of those guys who you just see his face. And even if it's a still photograph, you can imagine the sounds he's making. And there's something <laughs> like, mm-hmm, yeah, some, mm-hmm, yeah. Yes. Yeah. He, tremendous British comedian and character actor uh, who really excelled at playing kind of like, um, kind of like bumbling fops and upper crust uh, weirdos. And Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a certain type of role that Terry Thomas uh, just absolutely excelled at. In this movie, he's a little bit Harvey Corman, but also a little, you're going to balk for a second, I think, but a little bit Wings Hauser. <laughs> well, he definitely chews the scenes uh, with, uh, with, a, with a Wings Hauser-ian uh, intensity. Um, uh, Terry Thomas was in loads of stuff, but I'd say probably the biggest film he was in, the most, uh, most well-known is perhaps It's a Mad, 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 Mad World from 63. Uh, he also pops up in Danger Diabolic from 68, which is another highly stylish film. And that one was, of course, featured on Mystery Science Theater 3000. He was also a great voice actor. Uh, if, uh, if you've seen Walt Disney's Robin Hood, the animated Robin Hood with all the animal characters from 1973, he is the voice of Sir Hiss the Snake. He's sort of the, uh, the the toady to the to the cowardly lion prince. I believe so. Yes. All right. Another doctor. We have Doctor um, Hargreaves, played by Alex Scott. Alex Scott was in Next of Kin from 1982, which we just uh, covered on uh, Weird House Cinema. So uh, I, I won't go into to detail about him, but uh, you know, if you want to hear more about Alex Scott, uh, we discuss him uh, in the cast section for uh, our previous episode. He was the doctor in Next of Kin. Yes, he was the doctor. Oh, and he's a doctor in this one, too. Yeah, yeah. Distinctive Although I guess In this one, he's a, he's a psychiatrist, right? He, he puts on the frog mask. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, another small but, but fun role, we have uh, Hugh Griffith uh, popping up playing a rabbi who's called in uh, or called upon by the inspectors to uh, give some, uh, some expert uh, advice on some of the clues they've discovered. Uh, Griffith lived 1912 through 1980, a Welsh actor who actually won a Best Supporting uh, Oscar, um, uh, Actor Oscar, in 1960 for Ben-Hur. Hmm. 
Now the next, oh, this, this is one where I think you, I don't think she was actually credited originally on this film, but you might say that this film also stars a photograph of Carolyn Monroe. <laughs> That's right. Uh, when we actually see, uh, so she plays Dr. Fibes' deceased wife. And mm-hmm. at some point later in the movie, we actually see her dead body, but I don't think that's Carolyn Monroe. Yeah, I think it's just photographs of her that are used, which is which is interesting, especially since uh, since she, she did go on to, she was in a number of films. Uh, oh, she, yeah. was a, she was a pinup model, an actress, who I think ultimately stole, seems to have stolen many a uh, like 70s film nerd's heart. Uh, because she uh, she pops up in films like The Spy Who Loved Me from 77, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad from 73, Captain Kronos Vampire Hunter from 74, At the Earth's Core from 76, Star Crash from 78. Star Dracula, Crash. Yeah, Star Crash. Uh, Dracula AD 1972 from 1972. Um, and then she was in some stuff in the 80s of note, like um, uh, Maniac and Slaughter High. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is... It barely counts as an appearance. Like you could say that uh, Rita Hayworth is uh, just as much uh, an acting component in Shawshank Redemption (laughs) uh, as Carolyn Monroe is actually a cast member of this film. Though her photo does get a lot of screen time as we have multiple scenes of Vincent Price just worshiping a headshot of Carolyn Monroe. Yeah, all but, but praying to her. You know, another tie-in to a recent episode of the show uh, with, uh, with Beastmaster 2 Apparently, Carolyn Monroe was at some point in the running to play the character Ursa in Superman, the the mm. villain from the planet Krypton, uh, the part that eventually went to the actress Sarah Douglas, who played the sorceress in Beastmaster 2, and who I thought was by far the best part of that movie. But I think uh, Monroe turned down the role in Superman so she could be in in that Roger Moore movie. I don't have a real clear memory of that Bond movie, um, other than Spy it's Who the- Loved Me? Yeah. Oh, I, that's I, the one. Yeah, it's, it's the first the, one with Jaws. It established right. its Jaws, but it's in that regard, it's just a necessary precursor to Moonraker. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, so that one was actually well regarded by critics when it came out. If you watch it now, it's you know like all those Roger Moore movies, is extremely cheesy. <laughs> I recall that one also being one of the ones with with the most just evil James Bond in it. Like mm-hmm. I recall there's a scene where uh, some assassins trying to shoot at him and he, he's like kissing a woman and then he literally just turns and uses her as a human shield oh, God. to block the bullet from the assassin. Uh, I mean, I think it's implied that she's in on, she's like setting a trap for him, but still like, come on, dude, that's pretty rough. Yeah. So that's a mean, uh, Roger Moore, James Bond, though, is yeah, it, it has some good stuff about it. The villain in it likes to feed people to sharks because, of course, mm-hmm. right, that's the guy. He's got like a gun under the long table. I, I think that's also the one where it's the first one with Jaws in it. And uh, Jaws gets thrown to some sharks, but he defeats he, the sharks by biting them. He bites the shark. Yes. OK. Yeah. See, I, I mostly remember it for Jaws. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the the music uh, on this one. Um the music uh, for this film, though a number of different uh, songs are featured in it. Uh, the actual score is composed by uh, uh, Basil Kirchen, who lived 1927 through 2005. 
a British composer and musician responsible for the scores of such films as 67's The Shuttered Room, starring Oliver Reed. This movie, the 1974 movie, The Freak Master, which I've been <laughs> tempted to, to watch for this show. It's kind of a 70s take on Todd Browning's Freaks, and it has Donald Pleasant's uh. Tom Baker and Brad Harris in it. Oh, well, I like that cast list, but ooh, something about the idea of a, a 70s take on Freaks does not appeal to me. Yeah, I, I, that's probably what's kind of held me back. I know it has, I think um, Tom Baker plays like a, a giant, like a tall mutant character, and there's like a plant man in it. So it's got some some uh, attractive elements to it, plus Donald Pleasance. But uh, yeah, I haven't actually watched it yet. I've had it like, uh, you know, in the playlist, ready to go. Now, uh, Kirchin did not return for Fibes 2, um, but uh, he's he's pretty interesting fellow. I was looking into him a bit. Uh, he came up in big band, but then he also got into uh, electronic music and experimental music and tape manipulation. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you've had a number of individuals have pointed to him as an important influence, like Brian Eno, um, mm-hmm. uh, Broadcast, also Nurse with Wound. Uh, that's the, the, the project from Stephen Stapleton. Uh, if you're not familiar with Nurse with Wound, it's a... Um, kind of a indu- early industrial, but also kind of noise, weird uh, musical project that, uh, uh, like, I, I have to say, I like Nurse with Wound, and then there's a lot of Nurse with Wound music that I cannot listen to. And and if you played it for me, I would say, I hate that. Please don't play it. But then there's other stuff that's really solid. So I don't know. If you're going to check something out, I would say check out um, Thunder Perfect Mind or um, Rock and Roll Station. So I think the the, the five score kind of reflects some of these elements. There's certainly a lot of big band notes as well, of course. And then we have all this organ music and other tracks uh, that are featured. It gets a little noisy and per- percussive in places, especially when things are getting weird or or mm-hmm. they want to amp up the tension. But it doesn't really get like nurse with wound levels of strange. But this score is often held up as an as an excellent genre score, uh, though it's again it's kind of a unique beast. Um, it's widely available in all formats, though I think most of the vinyl out there is older. I haven't seen any evidence of any like super cool re-releases from recent years. Though I would emphasize that the music in this movie is a kind of hybrid product, because on one mm-hmm. level you've got this weird score, but then you also have a lot of uh, uh, directly diegetic music taking place on screen that's like uh, jazzy big band numbers and, mm-hmm. and old sort of crooner standards. Yeah. And finally, since this is such a, a visually luscious uh, movie, we have to mention the set designer, Brian Eatwell, who lived 1939 through 2007. Uh, yeah, the sets in this movie are just to die for. So props to, to Eatwell and everyone else involved in, cre- in creating these weird interiors. Um, he was a British production designer and art director. He designed the sets for both Dr. Fibes movies as well. Uh, he also served as production designer on such films as the 1971 Australian movie Walkabout, uh, 1973's Godspell, uh, mm. The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers from 73 and 74, uh, 1976's The Man Who Fell to Earth starring David Bowie, uh, 78 Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, uh, The Onion Field in 79, and the 1981 Killer Lion movie, Savage Harvest. See, 73, I guess there was only one movie adaptation of Godspell. Is that with Victor Garber? Yeah, I assume this is one. This is, as far as, far as I know, the Godspell. This is the one uh, the yeah. one I've seen. And it does have, I can see the connection here. Like there's a, you know, between this, uh, 
this this Broadway this uh, you know this weird Broadway musical brought to life and the you know the visual elements that are in play in Godspell like they 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 compare uh, reasonably well to some of the sensibilities we see in Doctor Fibes. Though Fibes never wears the Superman shirt. No. <laughs> I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, you want to talk about the plot? Oh, let's talk about this plot. <laughs> okay, so it starts very strong. You know, lights come up uh, on, on Baroque organ music, and you see a player in a hood and cloak. So this black hood is kind of shiny. The cloak almost looks like it is wet or oily. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just the material. But the the organ player is sitting at the instrument and then being, like, raised up on as if on an elevator, yeah, it is this. Yeah, this elevator-powered, um, super moody, 
organ, <laughs> the supervillain organ um, uh, playing area. Uh, it's uh, it's like you know it's it's a familiar trope. It's very Phantom of the Opera, but then just played up tremendously. Uh, you know the the visuals of this are just again just just so luscious. And then like the movie just starts at at maximum WTF. Like the yeah. <laughs> uh, how to describe what comes next. I don't, it's it's a recurring theme, but so the organ player plays while the credits roll, and then he gets up. And he descends a staircase and the camera pulls back to reveal what appears to be a musical ensemble made of embodied humanoid automata, like the Rockafire explosion, like <laughs> Chuck E. Cheese or Showbiz Pizza. But instead of having banjo bears and cool rats, they are tuxedo dudes in Michael Myers masks. And they're all playing tubas and drums and, and stuff. And then he conducts them as if they were an orchestra. Yeah, and the 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 drum t- informs us what the name of this group is. It's Doctor Fibes Clockwork Wizards. <laughs> so it's it's already off to a tremendous start. Like this is a film that's so bold in its stylish weirdness that we just kick things off with an extended horror pipe organ number in this underground nightclub, and then we're getting no dialogue, uh, no real you know, human faces or human voices or anything, just like pure performative weirdness. Yes. And it commits so hard. Like it goes on, like you're saying, without dialogue for a while. So the (laughs) organist in the, in the cloak steps back and then there's a whole dance number. Virginia North comes out in this amazing, I don't know what to call it. The sugar plum fairy costume. Like she's wearing this, this weird white dress with a strange golden, uh, vertical crown on her head and they dance together while the while the robots play yeah and it's just it's tremendous like it just it just sucks you absolutely in you're like you, you just, it, it's and it works on so many levels um uh, like it sets the tone for a film where it's really hard to have expectations about what's going to happen because you're not entirely sure what this film's values are. Uh, I kept thinking about that and ultimately made the, the, you know, the last 20 minutes of the film extra terrifying for me because it's like, I, I don't know what, how a film like this ends. I don't know mm. uh, what it considers a proper ending because it feels like it's from another dimension. Can we stop though and describe the set in this room because they will return to it many times throughout the throughout the movie. I was calling this the total party house because of course you have the ensemble there and and it's it's sort of always a party when when the uh, when the automata are playing. But it's it's like a room with a giant I guess marble floor and then uh, uh, like balcony levels uh, surrounding it all around and. What are some of the things in there? Like there's a table on one side of the room that has all of these busts or the upper parts of mannequins. I think there are nine of them, each one with a ceiling lamp hanging over it that I I think they're supposed to be made of wax or something. Like we Mm -hmm. see them melting later. And the organ is up on the stage at one end of the room. The room is decorated with all these satin curtains and these paintings on the columns leading up to the balcony with like these uh i don't know what you like like pharaoh heads and uh, uh weird symbols uh yeah it, it, it's a trip yeah it is it is a space that uh, you know it feels performative it feels like a 
like a nightclub, but it also feels like a temple. And it is kind of like his temple to holy revenge, a temple to uh, to his love for his departed wife. Those those heads represent each of the the victims that uh, he is going to uh, uh, kill, uh, the the objects of his revenge. Um, so it's yeah, it's it's it has a a, a real uh, you know strong ritualistic and performative vibe to it. Well, after the dance is over, the guy in the cloak he goes to operate a chain pulley. And I guess we can refer to these characters because we know who they're going to be. This is mm-hmm. Dr. Fibes and Vulvania. And so he goes to operate a chain pulley in the middle of the room, and it lowers something that looks like a shrouded bird cage into a subfloor basement. And then Vulvania goes down to the subfloor and tends to, she kind of straps it onto, I think, a trailer on the back of a car. Mm-hmm. She straps it down with a leather belt, and then they get into the car and drive away. And, and we see them driving the car, and it, it, it's the funniest shot. So Vulvania is, I don't think that's supposed to be her hair. Maybe it is. She's got, her head is covered in this big ball of fur, and I guess it's mm-hmm. supposed to be a fur cap. I think so, yeah. Meanwhile, Fibes is sitting in the back seat, being chauffeured with just like the, wearing the black hood and with a stocking over his face. So he's mm-hmm. just, you know, faceless terror. Yeah, it's, it's worth noting that both of these characters have so many different uh, costume changes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that revenge, they say revenge is a dish best served cold, uh, but uh, that doesn't mean you can't style it up. That mean, doesn't mean you can't uh, change your, your, uh, your cloak. Uh, frequently, that you can't uh, engage in any number of rituals. Uh, yeah, they're they're heavy into this vengeance game. And so they're headed out somewhere, and we we cut to a bedroom. We assume is where they're headed. It's it's this guy in a in a lavish bedchamber with uh, I don't know fancy stuff all over the walls, like paintings mm-hmm. of horses and in uh, markers to indicate this is a rich guy. But then in the ceiling above this guy's bed, uh, a skylight in the ceiling opens up, and we see Fibes and Volvania lowering in that bird cage from earlier and uh, and then they retract it they pull it back up with a trap door in the bottom of the cage hanging open so it seems they've released something into the room and this is the first murder of the movie that's right it's gonna be death by fruit bat just like in the old testament (laughs) (laughs) okay we'll get into the biblical accuracy maybe in a little (laughs) bit i don't know about that but uh so the guy in bed he is attacked by bats they're like bats crawling on him and he's like oh uh and then we do the intro in reverse the cloaked figure and and vulvania they return home they turn off the michael myers rock fire band and then he descends into the floor playing his organ but the next morning uh in the in the bedroom of the victim we get to see some butler action butler comes in with eggs on toast and like a bat lands on the eggs and there are bats everywhere and the guy's face, we see him laying in bed. It has been fully oatmealified. Yeah, death by fruit bat. <laughs> and then we see the first of a ritual that will repeat throughout the movie, which is that Doctor Fibes back at his party house, he puts a, a pendant with a with a, a significant looking symbol on it uh, on uh, on one of the heads of the the mannequins or the busts on the edge of the uh, the big concert hall room, and then he burns the face of the bust with a candle. Uh, but the next morning we get to see the police investigating, and, and the police are, they're played for comedy in this movie. They're all bumbling. Uh, mm-hmm. One of them says, it's a strange business, Tom. A man literally shredded to death right in the heart of London. <laughs> 
we find out that the victim was a medical doctor, and the police notice something. They notice that this vicious fruit bat shredding is similar to the recent death of another doctor in town who was killed by a swarm of bees in his library. And they say, almost turning to look at the camera, they say, his face looked as if it were covered in boils. Mm, and that will be important uh, shortly. Uh, so then we go back to the total party house and we see Vincent Price uh, putting on his face. Uh, we, we, will, we don't know what Dr. Fibes' real face looks like, but once he does a bunch of stuff to it, he looks like Vincent Price. And, uh, and I love this. I love everything about it. I love the weird sets. I love Vincent Price with shaggy Ringo hair. Mm-hmm. And I love how they make Vincent Price's actual face look like a sagging rubber mask on his head. They do, yeah. They give him this really waxy um, uh, color, and yeah, they add some other uh, little elements to it. Uh, and he also, you know, of course, it's Vincent Price, so he has a great mustache, but also really nice sideburns. Yes, but also uh, dark rings under his eyes, always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so he looks very, very haunted. Um, like, he, even though he's not in pure monster mode right now, he still looks kind of monstrous and, and unnatural. But the movie wastes no time. It is immediately on to the next Doctor murder. Uh, so we we meet Doctor Hargraves again. He's uh, he's at some swanky party where it's like fancy people all, all wearing animal masks of some kind, and Price is there in a mask. He gives a frog mask to Doctor Hargraves. Doctor Hargraves uh, seems to just accept it, mm-hmm. uh, and and Vincent Price helps him put it on. And he like does the catch on it, and and Hargraves introduces himself. He says, "I'm a psychiatrist, you know, a head shrinker." <laughs> Uh, but uh oh, this frog mask—it's a—it's a trap from Saw. It's like a head-crushing action mask where it just keeps ratcheting itself tighter. And the doctor staggers around trying to get help from a drunken lizard and some oaf in a pig mask. But there's no way of saving him. He just his head is crushed and and he lays there with the frog mask and and blood coming out of it, while people in horse head masks and and other uh, weird costumes look on in amazement. So counting the. Uh, the, the off-screen death, that's like the third death. So three down. Right. And we get a rundown of this by the police in the next scene because uh, there, there's a scene at Scotland Yard where the cops are talking about how they don't want this story about animal-themed doctor murders to get out <laughs> to the press. There, There's something that characters say multiple times in this movie. They're like, medical men die all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, true, as in because human beings die all the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, but, but under suspicious circumstances with animal themes, I don't know that that's like – statistically a thing yeah so inspector trout is uh he's tracking now he's like wait a minute bats bees and frogs so what's going on here but then it's immediately on to the next doctor murder this just they're coming thick and fast and the next one is dr longstreet is this terry thomas this is terry thomas and ho 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 it is such a, a terry thomas scene so when we first meet him he's immediately furtively ripping into a cylindrical parcel. I think he doesn't want his housekeeper to see what he's doing. Mm -hmm. And he's acting all sweaty and squirrely. And he appears to... What's going on is that he seems to have received a canister of racy film reels from the East. And he plans to watch them on his rattling projector while absolutely chugging red wine tonight (laughs) since the housekeeper is going to be out for the evening. Yeah. <laughs> and this is the part where so we're watching, you know, he he puts on his film reel and he's watching it's of like a lady dancing with a snake. 
Yes. Mm-hmm. It's like a belly dancing snake dance kind of a, a film, you know, very, but also a very old film. This is not something that, um, well, you know, it, it brings me back to the question. I'm not sure exactly what, when, when this film is supposed to be taking place. It's not supposed to take place in the seventies. No, I think it's supposed to take place in like the twenties probably. Okay. So maybe it is a, a current film that yeah. he has acquired here. Okay. But yeah, Terry Thomas, he he is a dirty chap, and uh, he looks a little bit Wingshauser-ish here. Mm-hmm. He's he's watching uh, inappropriate film reels, <laughs> uh, chugging red wine out of a snifter, and like licking his lips so that he, he's just being gross. Yes, <laughs> it's a great scene. But then, uh oh, here comes, of course, Doctor Fibes and Volvania show up at his house. You know, they walk in, and he's just kind of like, "Huh, what's going on?" And well, they sit him down in a chair, strap him in, and then drain out all of his blood. <laughs> yep. Put it in bottles up there on the uh, 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 up there above the fireplace, I believe, or on a shelf. So that's four doctors down. But this one kind of breaks the animal theme. This one is uh, is blood, huh? What's going on? But mm-hmm. the police put together a different pattern. They figure out that all four of these doctors worked for another doctor named Dr. Vesalius, and this mm. is Joseph Cotton. And so Inspector Trout goes to his house to meet him and see if he can make any sense of this. And <laughs> I, I like how when he gets there, uh, Vesalius's teenage son, Lim, is very impressed by the presence of Scotland Yard. Yes. And Vesalius's house looks like a hair salon. You know oh, it's this? so stylish. So stylish. There's there's like, you know, African masks on the wall. There's this like satyr statue with a light above it. Shiny surfaces everywhere, potted plants, mirrors on the walls, and a lot of fancy chairs just lined mm-hmm. up along the walls. Does his house have a waiting room? <laughs> I don't know. But Dr. Vesalius, we see, is a model train guy. Rails and train cars are scattered all over the floor when uh, Trout shows up and Trout fills him in. He's like, okay, here's what's going on. And he's like, do you know why someone would want to kill all of your associates? And of course, Vesalius has no idea. He again, he says the same thing as the guy earlier. He's like, men in my profession die every day of the year. (laughs) I don't know how often in like frog related deaths though, but yeah. Uh, But anyway, when the police find out about the, the long street murder, here they get a clue, which is uh, the pendant left behind at the scene. Uh, Dr. Uh, Fibes actually uh, drops the pendant there by accident. And so they find it. They take it back to a goldsmith, the, the person who made it. And uh, the goldsmith tells him, yep, this is an ambulant. I made 10 of them. It was a, a lady who ordered them. Uh, and Trout is like, was she smart? And then he says, fashionable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a fun scene because there's a lot of, a lot of goofy um, uh, back and forth between these two characters. But the, the jeweler informs Trout that uh, the sign on the ambulant is something requested by the person who bought them, and it's a uh, symbol in Hebrew. So the inspector then has a new clue and takes it to a rabbi to get the rundown. And here we get uh, a major exposition scene. So the rabbi tells him that the symbol is Hebrew for blood. And, ah, okay, this makes sense because Longstreet was drained of all blood. But... Mm. It's also notable for being one of the 10 plagues of Egypt, of course, turning the Nile into blood. And so here we get a speech about the 10 plagues of Egypt. So this is uh, from the story of the Exodus in in the Torah. And the context is that uh, the Jews are in bondage in Egypt and God keeps sending plagues against Egypt to force the Pharaoh to release them. Hmm. Here we get a list of the plagues, uh, which are in order. And I'm not saying these are necessarily the, the, the correct plagues, but this is what the movie says. 
says they are boils, bats, frogs, blood, rats, hail, beasts, locusts, death of the firstborn, and darkness. All right. We've had the first four, so we're almost halfway through. I feel like I must flag as kind of a Bible nerd. Like compare that to the actual list in a in a good translation of Exodus. I, I don't think that really matches. <laughs> but anyway, uh, so we get more scenes with Doctor Fibes back at the party house, and he uh, this the, this is where we first see him speaking to a shrine of the image of a woman we find out is his wife. This is the one played by the photo of Carolyn Monroe again, Stella Star. Uh, and he, he, he's like worshiping this, this headshot of her. He's got a whole table, I think of her, her belongings laid out. And we mentioned earlier that, uh, Vincent Price never actually speaks out of his mouth in this movie. So the only times he talks are by plugging a phonograph into a Jack in the back of his neck. And this connects to another weird scene later where he looks, it looks like he's drinking a beverage by pouring it into the back of his neck. Yes. At one point, he tastes um, something he's mixed up on his finger by like sticking his finger back there to where yeah. there. I mean, we never see it, but presumably there's some sort of a, a mouth hole back there that has been. Uh, uh, I don't know if it's surgical or technological, but uh, not knowing for sure makes it all the more impressive. When he's tasting something, is that the Brussels sprout goo? Yes, the Brussels sprout. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But this also provides some exposition because talking through the phonograph, he gives this whole uh, fiery speech and he says, nine killed you, nine shall die, nine eternities in doom. <laughs> uh, but we also get some exposition on the other side for with Dr. Vesalius and the police. So he, he and Trout do some research and they figure out that there was actually only one case where Vesalius worked with all of the doctors who are now dead, and that was on one patient named Victoria Regina Fibes. And we get the whole backstory. So she she had some medical emergency. They were operating on her. Her husband was uh, someone named Dr. Anton Fibes. And as Anton Fibes was racing to the hospital where his wife was in surgery, his car went off a cliff and exploded. And he was incinerated. Or was he? Mm. And uh, they reason from this, okay, so the rest of the surgical team that worked on this case of Victoria Fibes, they all need to be put under police protection. Uh, But the police don't really get there fast enough for most of them. Because the next scene is where Vincent Price uses an air conditioner in a car to kill a guy. Yep, yep. In a, yeah, like a, this, uh, in the carriage there. Uh, they just kind of like pull him over, uh, take, uh, uh, incapacitate the, uh, the driver, and then just hook him up to the AC and freeze him solid. And there's like snow blowing in his face from this mm-hmm. machine. Yeah, it's pretty good. And this one is a scene, too, that's very feels very Avengers uh, and uh, in its weirdness, you know, because we got like a little bit of super science, but uh, in, in weirdness. And we're also getting into that territory here, too, with our villain, where our villain is, um, he's not incapable of error. We saw him drop the amulet earlier, uh, but he's really thought out everything and is a man of multiple talents, a real villainous polymath. Yes. In fact, at the very next scene, we start to learn about all of his different expertise. Uh, so first of all, we get a clue from for Scotland Yard, which comes from Dr. Vesalius's son, Lim, who says he was in the music shop, I think, talking to the owner there mm-hmm. about the great organists. And he just happens to name some of the great organists offhand, Bridges, Drew, and Fibes. 
Mm. And so they're like, oh, oh, I see. Dr. Anton Fibes, he was a great organist, and he's apparently been paying the local organ shop guy recently, even though he's supposed to be dead. So they take a trip out to the crypt where Mr. and Mrs. Fibes were supposedly laid to rest. And we get more discussion about his background. They say, okay, he's not only a concert organist, he's also a PhD in theology. And I thought this was hilarious. <laughs> uh, Inspector Trout is like, that would explain his knowledge of the 10 plagues of Egypt. <laughs> seems like rather basic knowledge. I don't know. Yeah, it's not really a deep cut. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. Oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. But another really weird thing here is that, wait a minute. Okay, so Fibes is a concert organist and a PhD in theology. I started to wonder... That is a really weird coincidence if this is not supposed to be a play on Albert Schweitzer, but I don't know why else 
that would be. So do you know anything about Schweitzer? I didn't know a lot about him until you, you mentioned the possible connection and I read like just a basic bio on him. Yeah. Yeah. He, I mean, he's an interesting figure who was a medical doctor, a concert organist, and one of the most important scholars ever of the New Testament. He's largely responsible in uh, historical Jesus scholarship for putting forward probably the reigning historical understanding of, of uh, Jesus today, which is that he was an apocalyptic Jewish prophet. Hmm. Somebody who is predicting the imminent end of the world, but it, but I was just thinking like it doesn't make a lot of sense otherwise. But it it would be that is such a weirdly specific thing: an organist and a PhD in theology. Uh, I don't know. So yeah, I mean it makes sense. It's one way to flesh out your villain: pick a pick a, a historical figure and say, what if we made them into a supervillain? If they if they were a supervillain, what would it be like? Yeah, so I don't know. Strange choice, but interesting. Anyway, at the crypt, we've got, uh, the, you know, so they're like, well, let's just pop open these coffins and have us a look. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, there's no no official process here. They yeah. just just rip them open. Just pop them open, yeah. So they pop open the, the Dr. Fibes tomb. It has only ashes in it. But whose ashes? We don't know. They pop open the Mrs. Fibes tomb. Nothing. Completely mm-hmm. empty. Uh, one of the next scenes I recall is Inspector Trout back at the office receiving just a whacking chew out from his superiors. <laughs> yeah. They, you know, he's what? What is the? Do you remember this boss's name? The guy who's yelling at him for like a minute straight. I believe this is James Grout just playing Sergeant. Mm. I could be wrong oh, okay. on that, but uh, but it's a it's it's a real fun role because he's yeah he's a real he's a real hard ass. Yeah, he's he's demanding that they solve the case immediately. You know, we, we can't have these weird doctor murders just hanging out there because there is public outcry, and mm-hmm. that's falling on me. And the big boss also yells at Trout for not wearing his suit jacket inside. <laughs> so he's a real stickler. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we get another doctor murder scene. This one I thought was kind of strange, but it was the rat attack in the plane. So one of the doctors is an amateur pilot. He uh-huh. takes his plane up and then while in there, I guess they, uh, I guess Dr. Fibes and Volvania have put rats in the plane. Yeah. The rats attack him and then he crashes the plane. Um, I guess part of it's the sequential nature of this and also the Britishness of it. But yeah. I was reminded of Psychomania a lot in this. Because yes. there's that whole section in Psychomania oh, yeah. where there's, you have every, all the bikers trying to kill themselves in unique ways. So they can come back as undead bikers. And there's kind yeah. of like each one's more ridiculous than the last. That is a great sequence. Oh, Psychomania. Oh, that's also one of the best, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the best, oh, the next murder. Oh, it's, it may be, it, it's one of the cheapest where you're kind of like, I don't know, Fives, you're kind of really stretching the theme here. But yeah. uh, on the other level, like uh, absolutely top marks for uh, right. creativity and style. So the, so the police have not been able to protect any of the doctors yet. So the, they finally get to the next one before Fives can. They're at his gentleman's club in London, I guess. And they're like, okay, we're going to take you into protective custody. We'll make sure nothing happens to you. So they're walking out of the club. And as they open the door, you just hear like an (laughs) arrow hitting the target sound effect. And he has been pierced through with the horn of a brass unicorn. Yes. As, oh, and they say it was fired from a catapult. Yeah. And this is one of those moments in the film. It just reminds you, like, don't try and think too forensically about yeah. this motion picture. If you're like, well, how did they get a cat? How did they lay a catapult trap there? And and how did they work out the aerodynamics of launching uh, like this brass unicorn at this guy? Like, well, just don't worry about that. Just trust us. It happened. 
the unicorn horn has a spiral pattern on it and they have to unscrew <laughs> the guy from the wall. They show like oh, his God. feet going around. Yeah. Yes. It's so it's such great uh, uh, gallows humor. I love it. But then, so you've got this extremely silly scene. And then right after it, there's kind of a, uh, a serious scene where Fibes is, he's again, worshiping the headshot of Carolyn Monroe. But in this one, he recites part of a wonderful love poem by John Donne, The Good Morrow. Do you, you know this one, Rob? I, I wasn't familiar with this one. You might remember lines from it. Uh, you know, People pr- might have read it at school, and sometimes it has the lines, uh, If ever any beauty I did see, which I desired and got, t'was but a dream of thee. Well, he doesn't say those lines in the movie. He Instead, he quotes some lines from the last stanza of the poem, but he quotes them out of order. So the last stanza is... My face in thine eye, thine in mine appears, and true plain hearts do in the faces rest. Where can we find two better hemispheres, without sharp north, without declining west? Whatever dies was not mixed equally. If our two loves be one, or thou and I love so alike, that none do slacken, none can die. <laughs> it's a great poem, but he so he reads the first four lines of that stanza, but he reads lines three and four and then one and two. So the ones about the hemispheres and then the uh, in the faces rest. Well, you know, he's put a lot of work into this whole revenge cycle and, and ritual. Uh, so, you know, he's, he's, he's figured out how to mix it up a little bit. He's got to get it just right. There have been many takes. But then it goes straight from that into probably, I would say, the weirdest murder in the entire movie. Would you agree? Yeah, yeah. It's and it's also and then this is nice that the the murders all feel a little bit different uh, and they're presented in different ways. Like we get no clue at all about the setup for the brass unicorn catapult murder. Yeah, uh, but then we don't see them one, making the unicorn or anything. <laughs> right. No extended uh, uh, scenes of that. But this one is all about the prep work. In fact, you're just set, you just sat there watching this weirdness take place, and you're like, what are they doing? What 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 yeah. what of the ten plagues of Egypt involve Brussels sprouts? Let's talk about Brussels sprouts. What is happening? Volvania <laughs> is walking around dressed like Queen Elizabeth and <laughs> holding trays of Brussels sprouts. And Vincent Price is standing over a giant pot of boiling Brussels sprouts. And he's like picking Brussels sprouts from her hands and throwing some of them into the pot and throwing other ones away. He's inspecting them to see if they're just right. I don't know why. I don't know how this works, but he's like making He's turning the Brussels sprouts into some kind of essence of Brussels sprout. Yeah, and I I wasn't sure what was going on. I was like, well, we know that um, you know, obviously he was he was heavily disfigured, and we I think by by this point we already knew know that he drinks through his neck. Uh, so I was thinking, well, maybe this is just what Doctor Fibes consumes. Maybe he's on a liquid diet and he likes Brussels sprouts, and Brussels sprouts are good for you, and Brussels sprouts are great. So yeah. I mean, maybe not in this form. But uh, <laughs> no, this is this is the word. I mean, I love Brussels sprouts like good, like roasted. Mm-hmm. The idea of boiling Brussels sprouts down to a paste is the, one of the most disgusting <laughs> things I can imagine. Brussels but, sprouts in wet heat. No, no, no. Yeah. But uh, yeah, watching this, I was like, I have no idea where this is going, but I'm I'm all in. Let's see. Well, where is it going? We've got one last person on the list. It's a nurse who worked on the, you know, the Victoria Fibes uh, case. And so the police are trying to protect her. They send her into a room in some building where every surface is green. Yeah, very nice. And fits with the theme of of green goo. So they're like, okay, go in this room and sleep. And she's like, (laughs) okay. They tell her to take a sleeping pill. Mm -hmm. And uh, I guess that would explain why she is 
slow to wake later. Uh, Dr. Fives sneaks into the floor above her, drills a hole in the floor, hooks up a machine to pump green goo. I guess this is what he made out of the Brussels sprouts into the Mm -hmm. room. It dribbles all over some globe lamp and then dribbles all over her face. And then he releases locusts into the room via a tube and they march single file and then they go down and I guess they start eating the green goo off of her because they like plants. I don't know. And then they, they just strip her flesh down to the bones. Yeah. Just completely deflesh her skeleton. <laughs> yeah. Piranify her. Mm-hmm. Is that weird enough for you? <laughs> it's such a weird scene. Uh, and of course, you know, it's completely unrealistic, but, um, uh, but, but kudos. He was able to work. It was like, once I saw the bugs, I was like, ah, you're doing the locusts. Okay. Now it all makes sense. He made Brussels sprout goo, then used... Okay. Well, you know, he's been working up... Again, a lot of work went into this. He probably tried different, uh, you know, know, liquefied vegetables and liquefied plants to see what would get the locust excited enough to completely consume a human human body's flesh, and this is what worked. And she never woke up the whole time. No. Well, she'd taken a sleeping pill, so she was was out. Uh, but then finally, we get down to the, the the climax, which is when Vesalius realizes that, uh-oh, the biblical plague falling to him is the death of the firstborn. Mm-hmm. His organist son, his son Lim, has been kidnapped by Dr. Fibes. And uh, here, here we come to our James Bond trap ending. So Vesalius finds out that Fibes has his kid. He knocks out Inspector Trout, who tries to stop him. And then he heads over to the party house, where all kinds of things are happening. Uh, Volnavia is wearing this amazing like red <laughs> cloak with a with a golden sun with all these like insect legs on it and this uh this hat with peacock things shooting off of it i, I don't know she's the, the high priestess of the revenge i think at this point yes beautiful and this uh the, the automata are playing their their big band music and uh dr uh, vesalius arrives and and Oh God! They explain this whole thing to him. His they're like, okay, you've got six minutes to operate on your son to get a key out of his body that I've placed in his body that you will have to use to unlock the table, which so you can move the table that he's on so that this timer doesn't release a bunch of acid onto him. Right. It's 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 like. It, this is very much, this is where I was definitely thinking about like the Saw movies and, and all, yeah. but like really Jigsaw, just a rank amateur with no yes. style at all compared yeah. to Dr. Fives, because as grotesque as this sounds, and it does come off as like legitimately kind of Ugh, at this point, uh, it's still beautifully rendered and, you know, this white background, it's, it's uh, very stylish and, and it also works really well. I feel like the tension really builds in this part of the movie because uh, like I, I referenced earlier, we're at the part where we're past the victims where we can be like, okay, that guy seems sleazy. I guess it's okay yeah. if our unrealistic movie villain kills them. But now, like, we're dealing with, with the, the doctor alone. We haven't really seen anything to, any reason to hate him. And his son, even more so. Like, he is an innocent uh, when it comes to the, the death of Five's wife. No, you know, no, no matter how you, uh, you know, tease apart the details of her demise. Right, so Vesalius is he's he's setting to it. He's uh, trying to get the task done. Meanwhile, uh, Volnavia goes to grab a solid gold axe and mm-hmm. just starts hacking up the whole place. I guess you know, Fibes is like, "We're done. Destroy everything." So she's at it. Uh, we get a Fibes face reveal. Yes, where it turn- what is his real face? It's 
uh, I don't know how to describe it. It's a skull face. Yeah, it's a like very very Phantom of the Opera skeleton face. Uh, you know, uh, on the posters you see some like mechanical elements um, that are part of it. Like you know, he's uh, you know touching on the fact that he's also kind of made a uh, have some clockwork elements to himself because he has this big showdown right where he's talking about. Um, uh, you know, how the doctors can't be trusted. Uh, the doctors yeah. said he wouldn't survive, but he used his own ingenuity to, uh, and his knowledge of music and acoustics uh, to allow himself to speak again. And, and he also mm-hmm. has that great line there where he's, he says, I've killed nine times in my life. How many murders may be attributed to you? <laughs> Speaking to the doctor. Yeah. So he, he comes down there, yeah, he takes the mask off because his whole thing is like, soon your son will be disfigured by acid and he'll look just like me. Uh, yeah. And then, of course, the doctor continues to try and frantically work the surgery. And meanwhile, he just kind of like backs up and scoots into the elevator uh, yeah, and yeah. leaves him to try and pull it off. Now, we, Vesalius succeeds. The, the, the son is not harmed, but Fibes does get away and the, the police arrive. Oh, and uh, when the police arrive, Volnavia is standing there, I guess, ready to attack with the golden, the solid gold axe. But then she stands under the acid machine and whoops, yep. she gets she gets acided. Yeah, she gets acid slimed. We don't actually see her melt or anything, but no. uh, it's 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 you know it's an implied melting. And uh, I guess you know uh, she's not a good character. She's not a she's no. She's, she's been, been doing a lot of murder, <laughs> a lot of murders. So it it yeah. feels fair. Oh, but then Doctor Fibes he basically gets away with it because what does he do? He goes down and we find out. Oh, there's there's Mrs. Fibes in a sort of a crypt with a robotic lifting or mechanically lifting lid. He gets into the crypt next to her, I guess, planning to be uh, interred alongside her body and then hooks up a machine to replace his blood with embalming fluid. And we yes, see it like he, coming out of these yellow, uh, uh, very clearly labeled beakers that say embalming fluid. And so he's going down there, I guess, getting embalmed in real time. And the, when the police inspectors show up, they were like, wait a minute, what was the last plague? Big stinger, of course, Plague of Darkness, and the lights go out. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we get the the credits roll, uh, and this is in the credits where we see both doctor uh, the doc both doctors are listed as the protagonists, which I like. Yeah. And then when uh, oh, and then oh, what song is playing over the end oh. credits? Just to add to the, the utter weirdness uh, of this uh, movie, somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, it's so good. And then at the very end, you get a little stinger. You get a, an evil Dr. Fives, Vincent Price laugh. Uh, oh, God, I love it. There's just in the last 20 minutes, there's so many weird touches. Like, I love how the when he self-embalms himself alive, the embalming fluid is this bright yellow opposite the bright red of the blood. Um, yeah. It made me think, I think Phantasm Two has bright yellow embalming fluid. I have no idea what color embalming fluid actually is, but I hope it's bright mustard yellow, like in these motion pictures. Mm. There's the lid to the casket. Oh, what about that? Oh, it has like this elaborate sun and moon and earth, this astrological thing going on. Amazing. Great set design. Uh, This one's a real winner. Dr. Fives is, is, is the best. Absolutely. Yeah, this one this one's a lot of fun. Highly recommend it. Uh just just a weird fun picture. Uh yeah, probably not for the the wee kids or anything, but um well, it I does think get unless we say otherwise, that applies to any movie we talk about here. Right, right. But uh but a lot of fun for just about everybody else. Uh this one is currently hard to stream anywhere as of this recording, at least in the United States. Uh, there's an old DVD available in the United States, and I, and that is what I rented from Videodrome 
uh, to watch it. There's a nice Aero video Blu-ray for regions uh, B slash 2 out there. Uh, but luckily, the folks at uh, Videodrome informed me that a new Blu-ray edition is about to come out from Kino Lorber. Uh, it's going to come out next month. And uh, it's a two-pack with both Fibes movies mm. in it, uh, uh, part one and the sequel. Uh, so if you're excited to check out this film, well, hey, it's about here. And who knows, a lot of times when these films come out like this, um, it opens up streaming options as well, at least in subsequent months. So I feel like Fibes is returning uh, his, his, in, in grandiose fashion, uh, which, of course, uh, fits him perfectly. I can't wait. Uh, I, I will probably be trying to grab one of those. Yeah, Kino Lorber, uh, they tend to do a really good job. All right. Anything else you want to say about uh, Dr. Fives? I mean, there's so many. This is one of those movies that's just so rich with weirdness that we, we didn't even have time to touch on everything. There's so many great shots, um, you know, so, so many uh, nice little um, details that are either added to a performance or certainly to the, the background. For instance, I, I feel like we could have just described his organ uh, uh, that he plays. Oh, yeah. The glowing <laughs> red organ. Oh, yeah. It's just so beautifully, gothically super villain stylish oh it's just it, it has to be seen don't watch this movie if you're making brussels sprouts for dinner <laughs> all right we're gonna go ahead and close out this episode but uh, as always uh, we'd love to hear from everyone out there any fives fans have any tidbits they want to share with us uh write in let us know uh weird house cinema comes out every friday in the stuff to blow your mind podcast feed we are primarily a podcast about uh, science and you know, sometimes mythology and culture and history and so forth. Uh, but on, on Fridays, we set most of that aside and we just focus in on a weird film like this one. Uh, core episodes of Stuff to Blow Your Mind come out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Artifact or Monster Fact on Wednesday. And on Mondays, we do Listener Mail. Huge thanks, as always, to our excellent audio producer, Seth Nicholas Johnson. If you would like to get in touch with us with feedback on this episode or any other to suggest a topic for the future, or just to say hello, you can email us at contact at stufftoblowyourmind.com. Stuff to Blow Your Mind is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Today's episode is brought to you by Visible. The future of wireless is here, and it's transparent. Switch to Visible, the wireless company that makes wireless visible. Get a one-line plan with unlimited 5G data powered by Verizon. Just $25 a month, every month, taxes and fees included. No hidden fees, no surprises, no, really. What are you waiting for? Get with the times and switch to Visible at Visible.com. Monthly rate on the Visible plan for data management practices and additional terms, visit Visible.com. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. 
I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.